Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Good morning, everybody, and welcome again to Hill City. If you want to follow along, uh, Brad will be teaching out of Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 24. It says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God. In true righteousness and holiness. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Levi. You guys have a seat. Good to see you this morning. Happy spring break. To all of those who are hanging out in Spring Fun, Missouri. Got a little snow last week. I'm going to try to get it up to 80 this week. That's how we do it here. All right? Woo. Thank you. All right. So I'm going to start with this. <clears throat> and I know we're not in Ephesians chapter 5 yet, but let me, let me talk to you just for a minute about marriage. We're going to get into this pretty heavily. But here's what I know about marriage and all the married people to just perk up. And stay with me here, just maybe an amen here and there. Just got to have your support, okay? When you say, I do, it changes you, okay? Listen, I do a lot of weddings at this church, the demographic of our church. We got a lot of people falling in love and getting engaged and putting it on social media. And I mean, it's crazy how people are getting engaged. This has nothing to do with my notes. Are we, are we seeing how people are doing this engagement thing now? Like used to, it's just like, hey, will you marry me? Sure, I'll do that. That worked. But now we're like, making productions out of this thing okay it's, it's bizarre but keep it up if you're here and you're looking for a spouse you're in the right spot okay um but I do a lot of weddings I love it but when you say I do you are changed and then you continue to change so marriage changes you in an instant, or it should, and then it continues to change you. Hopefully you grow. And what will happen as you grow and as you're changed, you're going to have some failures along the way. Now, I'm just going to just share a minor failure of mine with you, okay? And before I tell you this, I just want to remind you how, how minor this is, okay? This is just a small failure. A few years ago. It wasn't that long ago, but it was long enough. Um, my wife's birthday, September 17th, I'll never forget it. Because a few years ago, I forgot it. Okay? And, and I knew I was going to share this failure, so I go to Jenny. I'm like, hey, babe, I'm going to share when I forgot your birthday and how it was like, I don't know if you remember that or not. <laughs> and how it was like. About 3 o'clock in the afternoon before I said anything, she says, oh, you mean 6, 11 p.m. when you, weren't, you didn't even remember it. Someone else had to remind you of that? And I said, yeah, yeah, that day, that one. <laughs> what a failure. 
But it's going to happen, and hopefully those failures will lead to change. I have not forgotten Jenny's birthday since. I may or may not have an alarm set on my phone every September 17th at, at, at about 6 a.m., okay? Because it changed me. I want to talk to you just a little bit about change this morning. I want you to think of yourself just five years ago. The you of five years ago. Have you changed? For some of you, maybe three years ago. Just go back three years ago. Some of you might even just be able to go back one year and just look at the change. And for some of you, man, you've undergone a physical change. Maybe you started to work out and your life is just very different than what it was three to five years ago. For some of you, it could be a spiritual change. You've grown. uh, You've you've been intentional about your growth. For some of you, maybe it's a a relational change. Like three years ago, you you didn't have a girlfriend, and now now you've said, I do. Like that's a reality. And for some of you, it's all three of those. But you've undergone a lot of change. And what I hope as you evaluate change, that you can look back and go, you know what? I have changed over the last five years. And specifically in the realm of, of, your, of your walk and, and your life in Christ. And I'm going to say something. I know it's redundant, but I've got to say this. A life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ will leave your life changed. If nothing has changed since you've met Jesus, we need to visit. Paul continues here. In Ephesians, and he gets very practical in what the life of a Christ follower should look like. Chapters 1 through 3, he laid the foundation. Here's who you are in Christ. Here's what Jesus did for you. Here is how God sees you because of what Jesus did. Three chapters on that. We've gotten into chapter 4 where now Paul is saying this is what your life should look like. This is how the world is going to see God in you. And he starts in verse 17. Now this I say, and I testify, Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. We talked last, the last time I talked to you about that word walk, that just simply means live your lives. We're no longer supposed to live our lives like the Gentiles do. Now that word Gentiles is the Greek word ethnos. We are no longer supposed to walk like the ethnos. Now, some of you are like, man, I think I've heard this before. Yes, Matthew chapter 28. This is the great commission. This is what we are supposed to be doing with our lives. If you're following Jesus, Matthew 28 is what we're supposed to be doing with our lives when it says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Let me read that again. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all ethnos. And Paul says you're not supposed to live your life like the ethnos because Jesus said you're supposed to go make disciples of the ethnos. Does this make sense? So don't think Jew-Gentile here. Just think anyone that's not following Jesus, ethnos. And he goes back to what we taught about when we follow Jesus, we become part of this third race. We're a Christ follower. And here's a fact. This is an undeniable fact. We are shaped we are changed we are formed we are discipled we are developed by our culture there's no debate about this all of us 
The United States has changed drastically in a very short window of time. 80 years ago, I just picked arbitrarily, let's pick 80 years ago, you could have had a conversation with someone who was following Jesus and someone who wasn't following Jesus, and they would have been at least in the same building when it, come to, when it comes to morality. Agree? Listen, because culture just was like that. Listen, we're not even on the same radar in 2022. Now, before you draw any conclusion that you shouldn't, it's not a sermon on morality. And we'll get to that at the end of the sermon. It's actually speaking against it probably more than it is for it. But we need to understand this. For the first time in our culture, we are learning and we are understanding, hopefully, what all of our other brothers and sisters who don't live in this country have been going through for years. And here's what I mean by that. What we believe, Hill City Church, what we believe, what we give our lives to, assuming that you follow Jesus, it's not normal. It's, listen, it has kind of been in the United States over the last couple hundred years, but we have shifted, okay? We are the weirdos, and we're only going to get weirder to the ethnos, and you need to be ready for this. And we're not supposed to live like the ethnos lives. And we have, listen, there's a way we live. And we got to be committed to it, even when our culture changes. Eyes on me, it has already. So let me just get practical. We, talked about be, we talk a lot about being a church for our city. I love it. We must be a church that's for our city. But we cannot do that at the expense of becoming just like our city. There are things. Our city is the ethnos. Let's be clear about this. Our city is the ethnos. And listen to me. We are going to say things and believe things that they are going to hate. We have to be for the city, but we cannot be just like our city. They are the ethnos. We're not supposed to live like that anymore. Does this make sense? Paul's setting the table here. So, okay, Brad, how, what do you mean? How, how is it that the ethnos, how is it that the Gentiles, as Paul used, but I'm going to say ethnos from here on out, how is it that they walk? How is it that they live their lives? Well, Paul tells us. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Now, we can't miss this. We have to understand this about Paul. Paul is a savage. You guys, if you just read over that, you, don't, you may not understand what he just did here, okay? There could not have been, an, he couldn't have said anything more insulting to the culture than what he just said. So there would have been people, yeah, of that culture who maybe would have overheard this letter or heard about this letter that was read to the church, and they would have been insulting, like they would have been fighting mad. What do you mean, Brad? What do you do? I'm, I'm, listen, let's go back to their town, Ephesus. Ephesus is a Greek city. Let me tell you a little bit about the Greeks. They had a very high view of the mind. They had a very high view of thinking. They had a high view of philosophy. They had a high view of reasoning. Like they, they did a lot. There's probably not a culture that has made a greater intellectual impact on the world than the Greeks. And Paul stands up, or he writes a letter that's, that's being read before the people, and he's like, ignorant. Y'all, ignorant. 
Okay, now listen. And listen, he's not pointing at some individual and saying, hey, you're stupid. Okay, so let's be clear. This is, this is very, uh, he's speaking to a culture. He's speaking to a way of life. A collective mindset among Ephesus. And Paul says, this is messed up. Your ways are futile. In other words, he's saying your ways are useless. Yes, you know a lot, but what are you using it for? And those of us have been, you know, you've been reading your Bibles, maybe you've been around Hill City, went through the book of Ecclesiastes. He's like, man, I heard, wait a minute, I heard Solomon say something about this. The futility of the minds, things being futile. And Paul's like, listen, you're doing a lot, it's useless. That's what the ethnos does. They're busy, they're doing this, they're doing that. They're doing all these things, but they're doing it apart from God, and it's useless. So practically in our town today, we must see it because the same thing is going on in our culture. And what we have to conclude is it doesn't matter what we accomplish in this life. If we accomplish it apart from God, it is useless. Well, I'm going to make, I'm going to build this great family. Great, do it. Your great, great grandkids won't even know you. Don't build a family apart from Jesus Christ. What a, a career. I'm going to go make this great career. Good. I hope you do it. I hope you make a bunch of money, and I hope you give it away. Don't build a career apart from Jesus Christ. Any relationship. I want a relationship. I want a marriage. I want this. I want that. I want to have good friends. Good. Have relationships with Jesus Christ, and then let all of your other relationships be through and for Jesus Christ. Otherwise, they are useless. One missionary, his name's C.T. Studd. What a name. He says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That kind of talk makes no sense to the ethnos. But it must be how we live our lives. It wasn't just that they were futile or in the futility of their minds. They were darkened in their mind and they were ignorant, Paul says. The Greeks elevated reason above all things. And Paul says, listen, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes, it's not, your, it's not that, it's actually your heart. And to the Greeks, it had been like, that's weird. Yeah, because what we do is weird to the ethnos. It makes no sense to the ethnos. Second Corinthians 4, Paul, Paul writes this, and it's very similar language. He says this in chapter 4, he says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. So the God of this world. Some of you are like, wait a minute, I remember you talking about the prince of the power of the air. Yep, same guy. Same guy. And the Bible says he's blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Paul says they were darkened in their mind. They were ignorant. How does this happen? Well, it's due to the hardness of heart. See, Jesus taught about the heart a lot. And let me say this 
one time, two times, I don't even know how many times I'm going to say it today, but just get it. Jesus has always been and will forever be after our hearts. He says in Matthew, he says it also in Mark, Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, come murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. When we say heart here, we have to understand, what am I saying when I say heart, right? Not the organ, right? The bump, bump, bump in your chest. Not, not like this emoji heart that we're sending out. Like when the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about our most inner self. Just think like my mind, my will, my emotions, all in one. That is the heart. And that's actually where our beliefs come from. And we need to get this this morning. Listen, because we will sin, and you need to be able to step back and evaluate where it is that maybe when sin comes in your life, we need to be able to evaluate it. And here's a good way to evaluate it. Behind every sinful behavior is a wrong heart belief. Paul says, there's a way that the ethnos does things. We don't do that. We don't elevate here, we elevate our heart, our mind, and our will, and our emotions all together. Ethnos continue, go to verse 19. They have become callous, they've given themselves up to sensuality, to greedy, they're greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So callous, think of that word callous, we know what this is. Best definition is, think think of an insensitivity to something, right? Something becomes numb. This is where we have lack of discernment. We have lack of judgment, judgment because we have an insensitivity to something. So just give me a, let me give you a couple examples of where we might become insensitive. For sure where the ethnos is insensitive, but sometimes it can affect us. Here it is. Sometimes we become insensitive to what sin will do to us. We think it's just this minor thing, but we don't understand it will, it, will, it will literally destroy our lives. And sometimes we can be insensitive to that. We, I know the ethnos is, but here's something else that maybe we can become insensitive to, definitely the ethnos does, is we can become insensitive to God's pursuit of us. So let me just talk to some of you who maybe walked in here this morning who, who might just be a little bit callous. See, calluses usually come almost always, they do, they come after wounds. They come after something is wounded. And specifically when the Bible's talking about this, it's talking about callous, come, callous, the heart being callous, hardness of heart. So let's talk about heart wounds just for a minute. We, we have all had them. And they come in different ways. For some of you, maybe have a heart wound because, because of maybe a breakup in your past. Right? I know I have a lot of young single people, but that, that doesn't just affect single people. Some married people are still callous because of a breakup in their past. Maybe some of you are callous because of the death of a loved one. You didn't see it coming. It, it was maybe all too soon, right? And you become callous. Maybe some of you have become callous because you've been betrayed. Maybe some of you have become callous because in your mind you're like, I did my life. I lived my life perfectly. I did everything God wanted me to do, but this didn't work out for me. There's a lot of different reasons that we can become callous. 
But could it be this morning that somebody in here, that when you healed from that heart wound, that it actually hardened your heart and that you've become numb to the love of Jesus? Could it be that you've become numb to the reality of the grace of Jesus? Could it be that you become numb to the fact that Jesus cares for you? My prayer for you this morning, if you walked in here with a hard heart, my prayer this morning, I've already been praying for you that, that, that Jesus would soften your heart this morning. Because listen to me, I'm getting ready to tell you your future. Allow God to soften your heart. Or this. This is a loving warning. I love you. Paul loved the Ephesians. He said, you're going to be given up to sensuality and you'll become greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Sensuality. That word simply talks about self-indulgence. That means a person that just does what feels best. They don't evaluate. They've lost any, uh, uh, they, they've lost any ability to look at a situation and understand the trouble that they're in. These type of people, if they want it, they just take it. If it feels good to them to hear it, to touch it, to, to taste it, whatever, they just do it. That's sensuality. And then, progressively, then they become greedy to practice every kind of impurity. I know you hear greedy. Maybe your mind went to money. That is, Listen, there's plenty to preach on there. That's not what this verse is talking about. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And what Paul's talking about there, remember, he's talking about the ethnos. This is the reality of the ethnos. This is, this is, this is, this is an insatiable desire for more and more impurity. See, this is what happens is, is, is a, a person will start just dabbling in something, right? And then before you know it, its teeth sinks in deep and it has you. But instead, instead of taking action, you become greedy and we just keep going back for more. And we keep going back for more. And we keep going back for more. And that's the future of those who have a hard heart. Paul says, this is not the way that you learned Christ. See, now he's talking to the Ephesians. He's talking about the ethnos. So, so listen, don't, don't, don't misunderstand this portion of Ephesians as a list of do's and don'ts. Paul is saying, this is how the ethnos lives. We're not supposed to do that anymore. Right? That's not how we live. That's, that's how we once walked. But this is how the ethnos lived. Then he says, no, that's not how you learned Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth that is in Jesus. Man, what a phrase. Listen, if you write in your Bible, just underline, underline that. That's not how you learned Christ. That might sound normal to us. That was very weird in their town. What do I mean by that? It was never spoken of that you learned a person. Like, you learn math, you learn logic, you might, you might learn about a person, but until Paul did this, no one, no one spoke this way where he says, no, you learned Jesus. So let's talk about learning. Because that word, he says, this is not how you learn Jesus. He says, this is not how you 
Manthano, Jesus. And some of you are like, wait a minute, I think I've heard that one before too. And you have. Because Matthew, our whole lives are this. Go, Manthano, the ethnos. Same word. So first we learn Christ. We Manthano. And then we go, the same word for making disciples is the same word Paul used here when he says, listen, this is not how you learn Christ. Learning Christ, O'Brien says it this way, means welcoming him as a living person and being shaped by his teaching. So we use this word around here a lot, right? We say gospel-centered. Let me just give you another way to say that, Jesus-centered. Everything we do is, is got to be Jesus-centered here. So let me just talk to you about discipleship. Let me talk to you about learning. I'm talking with Danny Mack, we're talking through this sermon. We're both about to start crying right now. Parents, just listen to me right now. You know what's going on right now on the third floor? My little Oakley is learning Christ. She's not learning about Christ. That's not what we do here. She's learning Jesus that's what's going on upstairs. Those of you who work upstairs on the third floor, what a high calling. Amen. Can we just say thank you today to those people who are with our kids and our kids are learning Christ. You need to know what's going on at this church. I'm so excited about it. I'm giving you a little bit of going. I'm, I'm too early to tell you this, but I don't care. We are right now building. It's under construction. This comprehensive discipleship plan that is for you. And when I say you, I mean, I don't care who you are. It is for you. This starts from birth, and it's going to go to the grave. And we want to be people here that are learners of Christ. And we don't ever want to stop. Now listen, just a side note here, because I have to do this. Um, if you're learning about Jesus, you will likely become so pride-filled filled because knowledge puffs up are you with me if you tell me if I hear a person and, and they're prideful and they're airing it I know right then you have not learned Christ you've learned about the, you've learned about him a little bit maybe know some things from the Bible you show me a person and their life is marked by humility oh baby that person's learned Christ I get to live this out personally, just a brief story. This is going to make me go long today, but whatever. So I have a father-in-law. If, if he knew I was talking about this, he would be like, quit. But I've got to do this. I've got a father-in-law who I've watched for 14 years. His life is marked by humility. The man knows Jesus. He has learned Christ. Like started a business out of his basement, very successful in everything he's ever done. And he, you wouldn't even know it. All he does is look at people, and he doesn't talk about how great he is or what he built or, or anything like that. He's always, he'll look me in the eye. He's looked me in the eye 100 times in 14 years and said, Brad, look at me. Everything I have has been given to me. He's a man of humility. You know why? He has learned Christ. He can't even read the Christmas story. What a blessing. He can't even sit with his family and read a Christmas story without weeping. For unto you is born this day a Savior. And he weeps because he knows that Savior. Because he's learned him. I want to be him. 
Listen, that's what happens when you learn Christ. You're a man and a woman of humility. That was free. Let's go to verse 22. Here's what we do when we learn Christ. We put off our old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And we're to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and to put on a new self created after likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. This, this language is very similar in how, how we would talk about taking clothes off and putting clothes on. Okay, but you have to understand, I won't get into this today. The way Paul represents this grammatically is, is when he talks about the putting on and the putting off, it's a past completed action. Listen, if you know Jesus, the old humanity is gone. It has been put off and the new humanity has been put on. The old clothes of sin and shame are gone. And we are, newly, we are newly clothed in the righteousness of our king. This is a big deal. We're, I'm going to preach the gospel to you right now. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Here's how this happened. See, Jesus went to the cross and he took all those old clothes of our sin and our shame and he put them on. He took them from us. But then what he did, he didn't just leave us naked. He said, here we go. Is that how you say it? Naked? That's how we said it when I grew up. He didn't leave us naked. What's he do? He takes his righteousness. This is a really big deal. He takes his righteousness and he covers us. And we are clothed in the righteousness of our king. Therefore, when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus and he says, I am so pleased with you. That's really, really good news. This has already happened. But it's also a decisive, conscious, daily decision to say, because this has already happened, I'm going to live like this has already happened. Daily, recognizing that the old humanity is gone and the new humanity is on. But listen, think of it like this. How often do you got to change clothes? Middle schoolers don't answer this question. All the middle school teachers in the room say amen. Listen, we got to do this all the time. We've got to reckon who we are, and that is people who are clothed in the righteousness of the king. So you wake up every morning, and you pray to God, and you say, thank you, Jesus, that you gave me your clothes. And then you look in the mirror, and the person looking back at you has to understand you are clothed in the righteousness of the king, and then tackle your day. But let's go back to marriage. Just like in marriage, you change immediately at I do. And every day you wake up and you know what you got to say every morning in marriage? I do again. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The new humanity. The old is gone. The new is here. 
Those who belong to Christ, Galatians 5 said, uh, 5.24 says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And we've passed from death to life, church. We have passed from death to life. And every day we've got to preach the gospel to ourselves that the old humanity was killed and was killed when you pass from death to life. And we have to preach that to ourselves every day. And listen, when we do this, when we understand everything I just told you, then, verse 25 through 32 of Ephesians chapter 4 will be the result. Right Now we, now we are kind of getting into this list of do's and don'ts. I'm not going to go through all of it, but when we understand that we are clothed in the righteousness of the king, when we understand that we no longer live like the ethnos, when we understand what Jesus did for us, then we'll be able to speak truth. Then we're going to be able to be angry and sin not. Then we're going to be able to let no corrupt talk come from out of our mouths. Then we will not grieve the Holy Spirit. Then bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice will be put away from us. But Paul doesn't start with that. This is very important. For hundreds of years in America, this is where Americans started. Oh, I can do that. Because morality was the Savior and not Jesus. Hey, Midwestern Bible Belt people, is that still the case for you? It's worth asking. Is morality your savior? Here's, here's the thing. Tim Keller put this, I don't think anybody could put it better than Tim Keller. Here's what he says. Morality has nothing to offer failures. And we can build our lists of behaviors to avoid, and we can make it the goal of our life to avoid those behaviors. But here's the deal. If we do that, if we make our list of do's and, do and don'ts, and we think my life is going to be devoted to, to living these out, we are all going to be in very big trouble. And the reason we're all going to be in very big trouble is because apart from Jesus, we're all failures. And morality has nothing to offer us. If you think morality can do the trick, then Jesus would not have had to die on the cross. The gospel is this. We are failures, but Jesus is not. See, all the lists, any do's and don'ts that you can find in the Bible, only one person has ever done those perfectly, and his name is Jesus Christ. He lived those out perfectly. And he's the only one that, will, that ever will. No one will ever come after him and be able to do it. And here's what we have to understand, church. Jesus Christ is not after our behavior modification. He's not after our morality. He is after our hearts. And the first thing that he does is he softens a hard heart. Actually, the Bible would even say that he gives us a brand new one. And then what happens is when he softens our hearts, our thinking changes. That's, like, that's literally what repentance is, to change your mind. 
Confession, then, is to agree with God. We are people who repent and confess, or confess and repent. First, we agree with God about what he says about sin, and then we change our mind and think what he thinks about sin. That's what we do. That marks our lives. And every area of our lives are impacted by this change, and we are never left the same. If you're serving communion, I want you to come forward. When you meet Jesus, you change immediately. And then you live a life of change. We cannot meet Jesus. We cannot have an encounter with Jesus and leave unchanged. See, the problem with the ethnos is this. They haven't encountered Jesus. So we can't be a people who have encountered Jesus and then live our lives as if we've not encountered Jesus. So as we're getting ready here, I just want us to do some personal reflection. Let's spend some time repenting. Let's spend some time confessing. Some of you might need to change your mind this morning about what you thought about morality. In your mind, you thought you're a pretty awesome person. Like, you know, I can live a pretty moral life. Maybe you can, but if it's anything outside of Jesus that motivates that, it's sin. See, Jesus did have to die on a cross for us to be clothed in the righteousness of the King. And that's what we're going to come to this meal to, to celebrate. I want you to stand with me. Come down, if you're new here, we'll come down these middle aisles. We have a station under each light. We have stations halfway in the back of the room. The balcony also has a station. I don't mention it enough. We do have a gluten-free option down here. That bread representing the body of our king. The cup representing the blood that was spilled on our behalf. This, what we are practicing in this moment is what enables us to be clothed in the righteousness of our king. Some of you may feel the need, you want to come pray. We're going to have some elders down front, some staff. It would be the honor of our day just to be able to pray with you. Let's come to the table.